Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Southside Church in person and online, really grateful for you. I really am. Been praying for you all week. I think what I have is going to be helpful. I think God gave it to me to help you. Leah talked a couple of minutes ago about the fact that next weekend we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate. And I thought it would be important to kind of take a minute and talk about why. Why do we celebrate Easter? You know, a few months ago we celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Christmas, and rightly so. We celebrated Christmas because Christmas demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus actually cares. Jesus cares. So much so, in fact, that he left his home in heaven and he moved into our neighborhood. That when Jesus showed up, a baby in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem, it actually marked the beginning of the greatest rescue mission in all of human history. Jesus cares. I think it's so important, you know? Because we live in a world, and the truth is, this world is broken, and there's so many people online, in person, all over our world today, and deep down inside, you feel abandoned, you feel ignored, you feel alone. And yet, we remember today that Jesus actually cares. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, actually cares. He knows you, he sees you, he cares. So at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus cares. At Easter, we celebrate that Jesus wins. That Jesus wins. In other words, that rescue mission that was launched 2,000 years ago was a success. That Jesus faced our most fearsome enemy, death. In other words, Leah was talking earlier about the Gospel of John, chapter 11, where Jesus raises his buddy Lazarus out of the grave, four days dead. Well, that was just the undercard. That was just the warm-up fight. Jesus faced death head on, and Jesus won. Jesus wins, and I think that's so important, you know? We celebrate that because the truth is, we live in a broken world. There's all kinds of people here, there's all kinds of people watching online right now, and you walk around in your life, and deep down inside, you feel lost. You feel broken. You feel defeated. And we celebrate this because Jesus, the Son of God, who knows you, who loves you, who cares for you, wins. And his victory is your victory. It changes everything. We celebrate that. It changes our history. It changes our identity. It changes our destiny. It changes our eternity. It changes broken people into whole people. It changes lost people into found people. It changes everything. Jesus cares and Jesus wins. That's the gospel, right? Jesus cares and Jesus wins. That's the gospel. That's the truth. It's amazing to me when I think about it that out of all the ways that God could have chosen to spread that message that Jesus cares and Jesus wins, he chose a bunch of wingnuts like us. He chose the church. The church is not a building. The church is not an online platform. The church is not a stage. The church is not a food truck, although food trucks are awesome. The church is us. I think about that all the time. That God placed you exactly where he wanted to place you. Because there's people in your life, there's people in your world, there's people in your neighborhood, there's people at your school, there's people at your work that desperately, desperately need to know that Jesus cares. 
and that Jesus wins. You say, well, I don't know, Mike, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Same here. You're probably closer to me than I am to perfect, but here's the thing, you don't need to be perfect because a perfect God placed you perfectly. Exactly where he wanted you to embrace this message that Jesus cares and Jesus wins. To live this message that Jesus cares and Jesus wins. And you know what? To share it too. I mentioned that because next weekend, Easter weekend, is a weekend that people will accept an invitation to church. People who maybe any other time of the year would have said, no, 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 this next weekend, they may. So I'm asking you right now, who are you bringing to church next week? Who you're bringing to Saturday night service? And then you're going to get up early the next day. Who you're bringing to Sunday morning, 9 a.m.? Who you're bringing to Sunday, 11? Who are you going to bring to church next week? Who is it in your life that desperately needs to know that Jesus cares and Jesus wins? It's perfect timing, you know? Because maybe you've only been coming for a couple weeks. Do you know that statistically speaking... The people most likely, the people most likely to invite someone to church next week, and statistically speaking, are people who have been attending Southside Church for three weeks or less. Isn't that weird? Like you're all enthusiastic. You don't even know the words to the songs yet. You don't know when to stand up, when to sit down, but you're in. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Maybe you still got a whole bunch of questions you want answered. And I just want to say it's amazing that you're here. And my hunch is that you like it here. You feel loved here. You feel respected here. There's something about this place. And that same something that's about this place for you will, be about, will, will, will play out in the lives of those who you invite also. They're going to like it here too. Statistically speaking, you know who is least likely to invite people to church next weekend? If you've been a church attender for five years or more. You know what that is, right? That's the 18-inch rule. You ever heard of the 18-inch rule? It's not like middle school dances where you gotta keep 18 inches away from the person you're dancing with. The 18-inch rule is like the longer that you go kind of believing in Jesus, living in, this, in the light of the fact that Jesus cares and Jesus wins, it's 18 inches. It moves from, from your heart up to your brain, which is really good because we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our mind, right? But what can happen if you're not careful is you lose the gratitude. You lose the joy. You, you lose the absolute surprise and shock that Jesus could care for someone like me, that Jesus wins for someone like me. So I wanna challenge you, no matter how long you've been attending church, one week or 1,000 weeks, let's be praying, let's be asking who God might have us invite next week. It's gonna be a party. It's gonna be a party, and it's perfect because we're moving through this New Testament book of 2 Timothy, which actually is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his best buddy, Timothy. But get this, Timothy is a pastor of a church in Ephesus, and so part of what Paul is writing in this letter is, hey, Timothy, how do we live lives that embrace the truth that Jesus cares and Jesus wins, that live the truth that Jesus cares and Jesus wins, and share that truth too. How do we create churches where the gospel message is lived and shared well? And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here as we jump in to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Run away from childish indulgence. Run away from childish 
indulgence. Another translation says youthful lust. Grow up, Timothy. Grow up. You know, in that culture, uh, you were considered young if you were 40 years old or younger. How many 40-year-olds here? How many people exactly 40 here right now? Yeah, yeah. You look great for 40, okay? That's amazing. Um, that doesn't seem, well, if you are 40, I want to tell you, you do look really young. But, but, but just like off the tip of my mind, that doesn't seem overarchingly young to me. It kind of makes me laugh, in fact, 40 years old. Timothy was about between his mid to late 30s. So he's about 38-year-old whippersnapper, you know, Timothy. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, grow up, kiddo. Grow up, run from childish indulgence. I used to think that was funny, but then I read a bunch of studies, and, and the studies show that, that the average man reached emotional maturity at 43 years old. <laughs> 43 years old. You, you want to know what the average is for women? 44, obviously, right? Takes them. No, it's not. It's not. It's 32, okay? It's 32 for women. 43 for men, 11 years. Took us 11 years longer to grow up. There was a guy in his 50s first service that yelled, not always, sometimes it's later. I'm like, yes, you're probably right. You're, it's an average, you know what I'm saying? It's an average, it's an average, it's an average. And Paul's saying, defy the average, grow up. Grow up. You want to live the gospel, you want to share the gospel, what you want to do is you want to run away from childish indulgence. Grow up. These studies were talking about signs that you, as a guy especially, that you might still be emotionally immature. One was like, you can't have serious discussions. It's just really hard for you to express your feelings. By the way, we had some controversy for a service, so ladies, if you don't mind, just kind of lock eyes with me. Don't look to the side or bump anybody, okay? So... That's one way you, you, you can't, oh, and, and, if, and things do get serious or if they get um, contentious, you have a hard time not gravitating towards either rage or pouting. Um, oh, you see your wife and kids as a burden instead of a blessing. In fact, empir empirically speaking, you treat your buddies better than you treat your wife and kids. You're a binger. Emotionally immature men often binge. Sometimes it's deadly, drinking and drugs. Sometimes it's just soul-sucking, binging entertainment. You don't play video games for an hour, you play for a week. Sometimes it's food. In fact, I read one study that claims that it could like, assess the emotional immaturity of a guy by whether or not he has fast food hamburgers before noon on any given day. I'm not sure about that. Oh, the one other thing they mentioned is that a sign of emotional immaturity for men is in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, they still have kind of a dependence and reliance on their, on their mom. On their mom. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Paul says, that's okay. That's okay. Timothy, it's okay, you 38-year-old whippersnapper. Timothy, you can do it. Grow up. Grow up. I love the way the Apostle John instructs us to grow up in a letter of his own found in the New Testament. First John chapter two, he says it this way, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, 
wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all it's wanting and wanting and wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Wanting and wanting and wanting. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, and wanting to appear important. John says what that leads to is like wanting and wanting and wanting. And in the Bible, when something is repeated three times, it's like perpetual. In fact, in this case, it's self-perpetuating. So you want and you want and you want, and if you get, it doesn't satisfy the wanting, it actually continues it or heightens the wanting, the wanting and the wanting and the wanting. It's self-perpetuating. I'll give you an example. Let's imagine that you're talking to a friend, and this friend of yours is single, and they're dating, and they're a really good friend, and your flakes are a little bit frosted because they've been dating this person for four months, and they never told you. You've never even met this person. They're like, what? And it's getting serious, you know? And so you say, well, tell me about this person. I just really, really want to know. And so they start to describe this person. And, and the description is great, and then they come to this one part, and they say, oh, there's one more thing that you need to know about them. Uh, they came from a really privileged childhood. And as far as I know, they're 29 years old, as far as I know, in their entire life so far, in the 29 years of their existence, they've never not got their own way. Okay, question for you. In that moment, would you go, oh, that's great. That's a great person to date. Because after all, they've had their own way 473,000 times. So now that's going to be enough. They're going to be happy to go with the flow from now on. They're not going to want their own way at all. Are you going to think that? Or are you going to think, oh, no. Oh no, this person has got their own way since they are zero and now they're 29 and they're just gonna always want their own way. You're gonna think the latter, why? Because it's the wanting and the wanting and the wanting. And the problem with that, the problem with this self-perpetuating system of wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting, the problem with it, the nightmare of it, the heartbreak of it is this. You end up settling for what you think you want at the cost of what you really want. You end up settling for what you think you want at the cost of what you really want. So what you think you want in the moment is you think you want your own way. But that's not what you really want. You don't want to be that person, right? That always has to have their own way. But in that moment, that's the thing. In that moment, you really think you want your own way, but what do you really, really, really want? You want to be someone who listens to other people once in a while. You, you want to be somebody, in fact, let me go even further and say, that would be willing to actually submit your will at times for the blessing and betterment of other people. You want to be someone who's kind. You, you, you want to be someone who seeks to understand. I know that about you. You know how I can prove it? It's the reason why sometimes after you get into a given situation, you look back and go, why was I such an idiot? And why did I have to push to get my own way? Why was I so stubborn? Why did I cause such an uproar? Why did I do that? Oh, that's easy. Here's the answer. Because what you thought you wanted in that moment 
is you thought you wanted your own way. And what you allowed is you allowed the wanting and the wanting and the wanting to keep you from getting what you really want. See, sometimes what you think you want in a given situation is you think you want everything for yourself. Same here. But that's not what you really want, is it? What do you really want? Well, I think what you really want is you want to be a generous person. You, you want to be a person who's a blessing to others. You, you want to be an open-handed person, an extravagant person, an enthusiastic person. That's what you want. I know that about you. You know why? That's why sometimes you look back at a given moment and go, what was I thinking? Why was I so selfish? You know, it can be something as simple as this. I went out for lunch with this person. I knew this person was struggling financially. I knew I should just pay for lunch. But he didn't. Why? Because in that moment, I thought what I wanted was to have everything for myself. I thought what I wanted is to be tight-fisted, but you didn't really want that. You allowed what you really want to suffer at the hands of what you thought you wanted. Does that make sense? And sometimes what we think we want, what we think we want, what we think we want, what we really think we want sometimes is to appear important. We think we want to appear important, to appear important. We really think we want that, but you don't really want that. What do you really want? I don't know, like just to rejoice in the blessing of being you. To say, I don't need to appear important. I just need to be me. And if that doesn't matter to anybody, if that's not noticed by anybody, if that's not important to anybody, I know one thing, Jesus cares, and it's important to him, and that's enough. That's why... I know that there's times that you look back at moments and, and, and say, why did I put that mask on? Why did I pretend to be someone I'm not? Because now I'm looking back going, do they like me for me or do they, we get it. We've all been there, right? It happens because what we can do is we can get on that cycle of the wanting and the wanting and the wanting and we can allow the things that we really think we want to keep us from the things that we really want. Paul continues back into 2 Timothy here. He says this, So instead of um, childish, indulg childish indulgence, run after mature righteousness. Faith, love, peace. Faith, love, peace. Joining those who are in honest and serious prayer before God. Faith, love, peace. Instead of always wanting your own way, choose faith instead. Instead of always wanting your own way, choose faith instead. What does faith say? Faith says, God, not my will, but your will be done. Faith says, God, not my will, but your will be done. When you have the kind of faith to pray that prayer, what's going to happen is God is going to ask you at times to submit your will so that someone else could be blessed. To seek first to understand instead of being understood. To be kind to someone else. And instead of always wanting everything for yourself, choose love instead. You know what love does, right? Love gives. Love gives. Love cares more for others than it cares for itself. Love is selfless. Love is extravagant. Love is open-handed. Choose love. Paul says, pursue love. Pursue peace. Instead of wanting to appear, wanting to appear important, choose peace. Choose peace. Okay. 
I don't need to appear important. I just need to be me. And even if that matters to nobody else in the world, even if nobody else notices, even if nobody else thinks I'm important, Jesus cares. And that's enough. Well, Paul also says we need to get along. You need to get along with people. About 10 years earlier, Paul wrote another letter that's also in our Bible. It was a letter to the church in Rome. In the, in the book of Romans, we call it the book of Romans, chapter 12, Paul says this, as far as it depends on you, live at peace, live in harmony with others. And it's weird because for a lot of my life, I looked at that verse and this is what I thought about it. I thought what it meant was this. Hey, you need to forgive people. If someone really ticked you off, just forgive them. Be nice. But a few years ago, it hit me. It doesn't just stop there. As far as it depends on me, I gotta live in harmony with people. In other words, it's not just the people who have ticked me off, it's the people I've ticked off. And if you're anything like me, that's a fairly lengthy and extensive list that I need to pursue them, that I need to be willing to apologize to. I was thinking a lot about that this week. As far as it depends on you, live in harmony. As far as it depends on you, live in harmony. Sometimes it takes distance. It always takes discipline. Distance because there's people that you need to forgive in your life from a distance, right? Does that make sense? There's people that you need to forgive in your life from a distance. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. They're dangerous to you. They're dangerous to the people you love. You need to forgive them from a distance. You can't keep holding on to the offenses that they've uh, committed against you because that's just reliving it over and over and over and over and over again. You gotta let it go. But you need to do it from a distance because they're dangerous. And sometimes it's the people that you ticked off. You're not gonna believe this. This is absolutely shocking. This is gonna blow your mind. I, I actually can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. Are you ready for this? It's so sad. And I don't understand it. There's people who don't like you. I just ripped the Band-Aid off. There you go. There are people that don't like you. I'm so sorry. They have brutal taste. As far as I know, there's a few that don't like me too. So there you go. We're in the same boat. So when I really got a hold of this, you know, live in harmony with everybody, I was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. I'm going to go to everybody who doesn't like me, and I'm just going to talk to them until they like me. It's going to be so great. They're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. And then some of them said, Mike, leave me alone. Ah, so you do. You give them distance. Sometimes it requires distance. It always requires discipline. This is really going to help some of you. It always requires discipline. When I was younger, I've told you this before, I struggled, I just wanted everyone to like me, okay? There I said, I just wanted everyone to like me. I wanted everyone to approve of me. Some of, you, some of you struggle the same way. The Bible calls it people pleasing. Okay, so, so I, I wanted everyone to like me, okay? Like many of you do. But at the same time, I'm really, really passionate and I'm really, really impulsive. So I want you to imagine that combination. I'm really passionate, I'm really impulsive, but I want everyone to like me. So what I did is I had like a long string of people who I would tick off all the time. And people would look at me and go, man, I gotta say, the, I gotta say something about Mike. That guy just, he always makes it right with people. He's ticking people off left, right, and center, and then he just always makes it right. And, and, and that's like a character quality. In a way it was maybe, but here's the thing, I had no choice. 
because I couldn't get to sleep at night if I was thinking that somebody was angry with me. I needed to go and make it right. But now I've gotten older, and to be completely honest with you, I don't really care what people think anymore. And it's actually a really good thing, by the way. I don't really care what people think. That's a really good thing. See, here's what happens to you at a certain point in your life, hopefully, I hope it happens for you, that when you stop trying to make people like you, you can actually choose to love them. When you get to a point in your life, when you stop trying to make people like you, you can actually choose to love them. And that's where the discipline comes in. Because I really don't care that much what people think of me anymore. So if I know that someone's ticked off at me, I can sleep fine at night. It doesn't bother me at all. But discipline says, come on, man. Go make it right. Paul continues, he says this, refuse to get involved in inane discussions. They always end up in fights. Theme, if you're here for the first time, joining us online for the first time, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Paul has been talking about this a lot in the letter. A lot, he keeps bringing it up. Have you noticed that? Some of you maybe have noticed. Don't argue, don't fight, don't quarrel, don't argue, don't fight, don't quarrel, don't get into name discussions, don't get in fights, don't, no godless chatter, don't argue, don't fight, don't quarrel. It's like, Paul, okay, man, we get it, we get it, we get it. Don't argue, don't fight, don't quarrel, we get it. Why does he keep talking about this? Two reasons, I think. Two reasons. I would say perception and perspective. I always gotta use the same letter, right? Per, 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 Perception and perspective. 67 AD, Paul's in jail writing this letter. It's amazing when you think about it. 67 AD, Nero is emperor of Rome. Christians are being dipped in pitch and lit as torches. 67 AD, one would think that the most serious threat to the spread of the gospel, the message that says Jesus cares and Jesus wins, one would think that the greatest threat to the spread of the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, would be from outside, out there. Paul seems to think that in 67 AD, the greatest threat is actually inside. What kind of threat? Oh, in name discussions, arguing, quarreling, and fighting. Godless chatter, arguing, quarreling and fighting. It's amazing, it's like almost Paul was onto something back in 67 AD. Because I'm sitting here in April of, two, is it April? Tell me it's April. I'm sitting here in April of 2022. I don't know, our culture fights a lot. Saw a newspaper headline the other day, this is what it said, try to get it right. Survey shows People increasingly angry about politics and COVID-19. No way. Wow. That's quite a survey. I hope you didn't take long because I could have told you that myself. We have a culture that fights a lot. We fight about politics. We fight about vaccines. We fight about masks. We fight about quarantines and restrictions and mandates. Talking to a lady about a year ago, she was a two... She is a two-time cancer survivor. She said to me, when I go outside 
and I see people not wearing masks and I hear them talking about not getting vaccinated, you know what I feel like? I feel like they don't love me, they don't care about me, they don't want to protect me, and I do not matter to them at all. Two-time cancer survivor. When I go outside and people aren't wearing masks or when they're talking about not getting vaccinated, I feel like they don't love me, they don't care about me, they don't value me, and they don't want to protect me. And right around the same time, I talked to an older guy who had escaped from Romania during the Cold War. Romania, when it was controlled by the evil dictator Nicolae Ceausescu. And he said this, he said, when I go out and I see everybody wearing masks and I hear about mandates and quarantines, I can't breathe. Because I think to myself, just like we lost our freedom in Romania, we're losing our freedom in Canada. Here's the question for you today. Which one of them is right? Is it the two-time cancer survivor? Or is it the man that fled for his life for Romania? Which one? Both. They're both right. Because they really, really feel that way. So here's what Paul would say to you today. Don't yell at them. Don't chastise them. Don't tell them they're wrong. Listen, empathize, understand. And then Paul says, steer the conversation away. You're allowed to have an opinion. And you're allowed to say to yourself, oh, this is headed towards a fight. Let's steer this thing away. Does that make sense? See, I said there was two reasons that Paul kept talking about arguing and fighting. Number one is perception. This could be a problem in the church. This could be a problem outside the church. Second is perspective. He's in jail. He knows he's not getting out. He's going to die. This is the last letter that he's ever going to write. He knows that this is the last letter he's ever going to write. Paul knows he's going to die. Not someday, but any day. Any day now. And Paul's looking ahead at his own death and realizing that for him, for him, listen to this, for him it's not a termination, but it's a transition into eternal life. And so for him, he's like, hey, can we talk about that? Can, can, can we make the main thing the main thing? Can we not forget to talk about that? Heard someone talking the other day. They said, in the Old Testament, we read about all these kings and priests and prophets. Kings, priests, prophets. Kings, priests, prophets. And, and what kings do is, is kings go and they, 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 they conquer their enemies on behalf of their people. And that's why we call Jesus the king of all kings. Because Jesus, that raising Lazarus from the tube was the undercard. That was the warm-up fight. Jesus faced our most feared enemy, death, and defeated death on our behalf. He is the king of all kings. And if you read in the Old Testament, you read about priests. And what priests did is that they would make sacrifices of animals to atone for the sins of the people. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the great high priest because Jesus sacrificed himself to atone for all people throughout all time, once and for all. He's the great high priest. 
And when prophets in the Old Testament, you know what prophets did? Prophets called people back to God. And that's why we call Jesus the prophet of all prophets. That he came to reconcile you and me to God once and for all time. And Paul's just saying, hey, hey, hey. Timothy, you young buck. You 38-year-old wingnut, Timothy. Grow up. Grow up. You, you, you want to. Because I can tell you from where I'm sitting, there's nothing more important than talking about the fact that Jesus cares I know it, I know it, but I'll tell you what, Timothy, it's any day now, they're gonna take my head off, and I feel it. Jesus cares and Jesus wins. God's servant must not be argumentative, but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps cool, working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey. Um, problem with arguing is it's just not loving. Arguing is about imposing your will. Remember back up, wanting your own way, that's arguing. Wanting your own way, that's arguing. Imposing your will. So you win the argument and you lose the person. Not worth it, love says. Instead of wanting your own way, you ask, what does love require? What does love require? Well, Paul says, oh, you just teach and you listen, you teach and you listen, you teach and you listen, you teach and you listen. You tell them about Jesus. Tell them that Jesus cares. They need to know that. Tell them that Jesus wins. They need to know that too. Tell them. Tell them that he cares for them, that he won for them. Keep telling them and listen. But be cool and gentle. I like that, be cool and gentle. Growing up, I had a lot of older cousins. I loved them. They were seven, eight, nine years older than me. I look back sometimes and I think, man, what their, what their life must have, because they're like 16, 17 when I'm eight and nine at my most annoying, at the peak of my annoyance, you know? Following them around, thought they were the coolest guys ever. And they were, they were so cool. And they were so nice to me. But every once in a while they would have enough. And when they did have enough, they would grab me and throw me on the ground and get me back and put their knees on my arms. If you have an older brother, this has happened to you. You know what I mean? And you're flat on your back and there's nothing you can do. You can try the old kick thing, never works. Tried it hundreds of times in my life, never ever works. And now they got, kind of got you at their mercy, right? So they can make you say all kinds of things. Say uncle, uncle. Say Fred's the greatest, Fred's the greatest, you know, whatever. And there's other things, they, they can threaten you with bodily functions like you would not believe. You know what I'm saying if you have an older brother and you're down there and it's just like, and sometimes Paul's saying, we can be a little bit like that as Christ followers when we try to impose our own will. Now, come on, Jesus cares. <laughs> you know, ah, okay, you know. Je Jesus wins, don't you know? And I win. And Paul says, I love it. Just be cool. Just be patient. It's okay. Just keep listening. Just keep teaching. Just be cool. Just be patient. Why? You never know. You never know how or when God might sober them up with a change of heart and a turning to the truth, enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive, forced to run his errands. You never know, but God does. You never know, but God does. Jesus cares, and Jesus wins. Here's the truth. I'll tell you something that you know already. 
The war has been won, but the battle still rages. Our enemy has been defeated, but he still rages. See, we have a spiritual enemy named the devil, and he is the author of the broken. And that's why we look around our world today and we see brokenness. We see broken hearts and we see broken lives. We see broken marriages, we see broken families, and we see broken people. And Paul says, hey, be cool and patient. Because at just the right time, God's got this. Hey, so keep speaking love. Keep listening. Keep teaching. Keep talking. Keep loving. God's got this. When we do everything that we can do, God just keeps showing up and doing what only he can do. Jesus cares. And Jesus wins. It changes histories. It changes identities. changes destinies. changes eternities. It changes lost people into found people, blind people into seeing people. It, it, it changes broken people into whole people. It changes marriages. It changes families. It changes lives. It changes eternity. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. On the eve of the launch of the greatest rescue mission in all of human history, angels showed up in a field outside of Bethlehem and they said this, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. Jesus cares. Jesus wins. And so I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the best is yet to come. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads for just a moment of reflection. God's speaking to you today, that one thing. Maybe it's just to ask him right now in this moment. God, I know it in my mind, but you, would you renew my heart? Would you renew my heart? Give me the joy. Give me the gratitude that I once had. Maybe it's looking at situations in your life where with all due respect for you and me both, situations where we just need to grow up a bit, where we need to be cool and patient, cool and patient, cool and patient, where we need to listen and love and care. See, I don't know how many times you've been here, but if you're joining us online or in person, and maybe you've never heard anybody tell you yet that Jesus cares for you and that Jesus wins for you I want to tell you something it changes everything it changes your past your present your future your eternity in one moment you can't earn it you can't deserve it everything that needs to be done has already been done so I want to give you an opportunity right now if that's you if you've never accepted that gift of forgiveness salvation eternity 
that Jesus purchased through his death and resurrection with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I just wanna ask you to do something incredibly bold. Would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Nice and high if you don't mind. Oh, that is awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Incredible. You can put your hands down, whether you're online or in person. If your hand was just raised, I'm gonna pray out loud and I would just ask you to pray silently along with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you care. And thank you that you win. Just ask you to be my savior. I thank you that you came and you died and I hand you my sin and my shame and my past. And I move on. Today I ask you to be my Lord. I thank you that you rose again, that you win. Pray that you give me the strength, the power to follow you one next step at a time into the life I was created to live, the person I was created to be. And for all the rest of us, God, I just wanna pray. I wanna thank you. Thank you for this knowledge that we have in our head. And I pray that we would never lose the joy in our hearts, the gratitude. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. Jesus cares for me. Jesus wins for me. We love you. And God, I pray that for every one of us, that you would give us a name or two or three, whatever. There's people in our life that we need to invite. No strings, no pressure, no yelling, no screaming. Just invite them to church next week. I pray that you would just grant us grace. We're thankful we love you in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love it if you could just, why am I spelling it out? Text the keyword life. 604-670-3040. Next week, it's Easter. There's food trucks. I'm gonna be here, and you're gonna be here. So it's gonna be awesome. I love you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.